0: welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Juana. So, So, take out your Bible, if that's all right, if you have one with you, to the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 17. So, John chapter 17. So, over the last four weeks, I've been telling you guys about some of the rhythms that make us as the Strohfeld household who we are, and one of those rhythms is that on a Friday evening, we have homemade pizza and movie night. That's like highlights of the week. But one of the things we do before we get into the pizza and the movie is we stand together as a family, we hold hands, and before we pray, we just ask this question, what are you thankful for in this week? So we're practicing thankfulness. And the cutest moment the other day, Mia, our youngest, she's five years old, and we asked her, Mia, what are you thankful for in this week? And she said, I'm thankful that my teacher loves me. Isn't that just the cutest? Like, oh, like you just want to... I just want to eat her. It's so cute. So some rhythms make us who we are. And we've been saying in these four weeks, we want to look at some of the rhythms that make Doxadeo Hatfield who we are and invite you into those. And we want to say that for us, you know, what makes us Tina? What makes us Rona? What makes us ons See, every time I try to pronounce those, I see some of the guys are like, Joe. keep on practicing. Keep on practicing. What makes us us? And we said there's one rhythm that if you want to be part of the global church, if you want to be a Christian, there's one rhythm you have to understand. It's the foundation of all that God does. And it's these two things. We phrase it as follows, that God is always doing the first. He's bringing people into relationship with Him, and then He's sending them out as His representatives. To live in relationship with God and to live as a representative of God. God is always bringing people in and He's then sending them out all throughout the Bible. He's blessing people and then He's bringing blessing through people. And Dr. O'Hatfield, we would say with the rest of the family, we are a family that goes on mission together. And we spoke about that family in the first couple of weeks and we've been speaking about mission the last two weeks. What does it mean to go on mission? together. And last week, we said, let's break it into two. What does it mean to be on mission when we gather as the church on Sunday? So last week was about the gathering of the church on mission. And today, we're going to say, what about Monday? What does it mean to be on mission when we scatter as the church and we step into our Mondays? Now, I want to tell you about probably the most challenging book I think I've read in my whole life. The end of last year, It's a book by a name called John Tyson, and it's called The Intentional Father. And the reason this book was so difficult, so challenging, is not because of the language that's too difficult or the concepts being too abstract or it wasn't written well or something like that. The reason is I cannot now unread this book. I cannot unsee what I have seen in this book because what this guy says is that he looked at the fact that young men in our modern culture are no longer being brought into manhood in any significant way. They just drift into this abstract thing called being a man. And especially in Christian circles, this happens. And so what he did is he went and did research, and he basically put together a five-year journey for his son between the ages of 13 and 18. And he walked out this journey with him so that he would not just release his son kind of unintentionally into the world, but he would send his son with passion and conviction. And so, man, this thing, to say that it's comprehensive is an understatement this 5 year journey they would every single morning for 3 years they would get up in the morning early they would read together and laugh together and cry together and discuss and argue He would organize these overseas trips with his son where they go and serve the poor. They would go and walk across Europe over 600 miles just journeying as father and son. He would organize over five years these moments where key family members and friends would speak into his son's life on everything about the role of a man and the skill set and the passion. And he says, you know what, no young man wants just a generic vision of being a good person. What every young man wants is a compelling vision of God upon their life of significance and sacrifice that is so compelling that it calls upon every inch of their faith and their skill set. And what challenged me is I can read this book and say, well, the difference between me and this husband, this father, the difference is that he's smarter than I am. He's more committed than I am. He's got better resources and time or money than I do. But the issue is, what's challenging is the only difference between a father who simply lets his son drift into the world aimlessly and a a, a father who sends his son with passion into the world is this one word. It's in the title, the intentional father. I cannot unread that. What would that mean for me? And it got me thinking, what would it look like if the church in Pretoria did not aimlessly drift into Monday after a spiritual high on Sunday, but it stepped intentionally into its workplace on a Monday? You know what would happen? The city would be transformed. When the church stepped into not just Sundays, but Mondays with intentionality, we would see this city transformed. So I want to take you to John 17, that you see this for yourself. Jesus, before He's going to be tried and crucified and then, I believe, raised from the dead for victory for those who believe in Him, He prays to His Father for all the Jesus followers, the disciples that He had, but also for all future disciples. So if you are a Jesus follower this morning, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for your Monday. So listen to what He says. Verse 6, Speaking to the Father, I have revealed your name to the people that you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything that you have given me is from you because I have given them the words that you gave me. They've received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you have sent me. In verse 15, so I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. So sanctify them, grow them, mature them by the truth. Your word is the truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Powerful. Amen. It's time to wake up, friends. It's church. All right. The the service cannot start at 11. You need to drink coffee before you come to church. This is powerful. Why? Because Jesus says the way that we are impacted by God is not that we reach out to Him through good works and being religious, swearing less, and trying not to sleep with your girlfriend. That is not how we reach God. He says He comes to reveal Himself to us. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. I've come to show you the grace and the truth of a God who forgives and saves and redeems. And he says, those of the world that he came to to call to him, those who believed in him, what? They were irrevocably changed. They were not perfect. They were not great people even necessarily, but something happened in their life that would never be the same again. And now even more powerful, he says, those that believe that got transformed, that got saved, he says, something happened in them because they believe that Jesus was the first sent one from God. He was the one sent to this world. But now he says, if that grips you, Jesus for you and not what you can do for Jesus, he says, something is going to stir up in your spirit where you realize Jesus does not want to put you in, you know, just nice wrap packaging, keep you in the corner for, the, you know, for heaven one day. That's not his plan. He says, I am, as I was the first sent one, I am going to raise up a generation of sent ones. And I'm not going to take them out of the world. No, mature them, protect them, grow them, mature them, and I am going to send them into the world. That's the vision that Jesus has for the church. In summary, he says, verse 18, As you sent me into the world, Father, I send them into the world. Jesus is intentional with your life. What would it look like if the church, if you and I stepped into Mondays, not aimlessly having to go into my sacred, you know, secular divide, Yesterday, we did some holy stuff. Today, we're doing some work stuff, some secular things, waiting for the next Sunday. But if we stepped into our Mondays with intention, knowing that I'm chosen, called by God, redeemed by Him, it's not what I can do for Him, but what He has done for me, and now what He wants to do through me, what would that look like? Intentional mission. Now, I have to address this. Because I think this raises something that I hear so often from my own mouth and from the people of our church and just the global church. And it goes something like this. Guys, our church should really start getting out of the building and getting into the streets. Guys, our church should really start praying. Guys, our church should really start caring for the poor. Guys, our church should really start building the kingdom out there and not just be the church. Now, I really understand where that comes from. That's from a heart that says, I want the church to be the very best version of what it can be. But can I tell you a secret this morning? Lean in for a second. Listen, just lean in for a second. Can I tell you a secret? You are the church. You are the church. (laughs) Friends, listen to me. You are the church. Lechai, Tammy, Malcolm, Letitia, Andre, Lalani, you are the church and I am the church. So I say to you that we do send out the church every single Monday to go and care for the poor, to pray, to reach into the streets and do the work of the gospel. No amens for that one. We are the church being sent out, friends. Now, I get it. We are saying that there are moments that we want to do the collective work of the church. And yes, that's important. That's why over these first almost three years now, we've had these moments where whether it's going out to Khan's hospital or going literally into the streets on Sundays to give out gifts and to pray for people and share the gospel, whether it's when we pull our resources and partner with guys like Judea Hope to to aid people in the unrest last year or now with the Mamelodi flooding. Whether it's these moments where we are praying for or engaging other churches in the streets, yes, those things should happen and will happen and continue to happen. But that is not historically the bulk of the church's work. We are not waiting for a program. You are the program. Think about this. There's a guy called Michael Green. He writes a brilliant book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And he says, if you, if you ask the historians that understood the, the, the makeup of the early church, they would say the following. That the early Christianity's explosive growth, it was accomplished by means of informal missionaries. It was the informal plumber, poet, programmer, painter as missionary in the church. And they went about their business in homes, in wine shops, in walks, around market stalls, They did it naturally and enthusiastically. How did the church explode onto the human history and story? It was not the collective moments only. When is our next mission trip? When is our next mission weekend? When is our next mission moment? It was the mission of the church to enter into Mondays in tens, then hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, and then millions of people eventually being the church. In fact, in the New Testament, that word that's used over and over and over again, Iangeliso, you'll find it in Acts 5 and Acts 8 and all over Paul's writings. It literally means to good news. You become a good newser. Do you know that that word was almost never used collectively and it was almost never used for the apostles or the leaders of the church? The good newsing happened through the people. On Mondays, the church said, it's time to good news. Let's get going. In fact, I love this. If you want to read a stirring book, Christopher writes, The Mission of God's People. He goes through the whole Bible. And he says every single, you know, aspect and dimension of God's mission, he makes a bold statement. Listen to this. He says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world. He says, no, God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. When are we going to go on mission again? No, no, no. The church was made for mission. When are we going on mission? T minus a couple of hours, and the mission field awaits. Friends, this is us. If you're in Doxodeo as a family and you're waiting for us to to launch the program that changes the city, we've launched it. It's called the church. This is Tina. This is Rona. This is Orns. Now, I know at this point you're saying, okay, so how? How do I do this? I want to do this, and I know this about you if you are a Jesus follower, but how do I do this? One thing is I think it's good to start asking the question, if you think about a Monday, what are the roles that God has given me? Because think about it, for me, I was in high school, and then I became a Christian. And then from that point onwards, you know, I studied, and I got married, and I had kids, and I worked, and all those kinds of things, but my identity was always the same. I'm a Christian first, and then I'm a university student. I'm a Christian, and then I'm a father. I'm a Christian, and then I'm an employee of the Doxodeo family. And so you need to say, what are the roles that God is sending me into on a Monday? And friends, if you're a high school student today... That's your vocation. That's your work. If you're a university student, that is your work in this season. If you are an employee, that is your work at that organization. If you're a business owner, entrepreneur, that's your work. If you're an empty nester, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, that is your work. You're a Christian plumber, poet, programmer, painter. But you say, Joe, show me how I can be a Christian plumber, poet, programmer, and painter. And here's the answer. How the heck am I supposed to know? I'm a pastor. That's the honest truth. You are asking me how to do it. And I'm telling you, how am I supposed to know? Because here's the issue, friends. I wish, and I know what we want. Give me the three things that I just need to do tomorrow. And I know as a father, as a brother, as a colleague, friend, in my work, I know that I'm doing what God has called me to be. But here's the issue. I cannot give you a simple method. What I can give you is a path called maturity. That's what I can give you. Because the reality is Jesus says, don't take them out of the world. No, he says, protect them, yes, from the evil one. But what? Come and mature them, build them, edify them, strengthen them. You know what he's saying? He's saying you are going to enter into the, you know, becoming a Christian. That's not the end. That's literally the very beginning. And he says, now over decades of your life, you're going to have this this back and forth with God, in relationship with God, as a representative of God. All the Christian plumbers need to start getting together, the Christian painters, the Christian poets, the the Christian pediatricians, and you need to say, what does it mean for me to not just be in relationship with God, but to be a representative of God? Because that is maturity. That's relationship. If I could give you the ABC, you wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus. You wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't need God. And God says, I want you in relationship with me. So yes, you are going to become a skilled practitioner of what it means to be a Jesus follower in your life in every facet of it on Monday. I can't give you a simple method, but I can give you this thing called maturity. But to make it practical for us, I think this is the one thing we can know. That there will always be four things that you have to have in every single facet of your life. As you step into Monday with intention, these things will always be true. And I give you all four because it's a lot to take in. I'll send it out in the partners group again this week. But please keep this in your heart. This is for all of us. These four things. How do we represent God on a Monday? First up, we represent the will of God. That is the reason I do my work. We represent the presence of God. That is the outcome of my work. We represent the character of God on Monday mornings. That is the way I do my work. And thirdly, we represent the message of God on Mondays. That is the opportunity in my work. Let's look at those for a couple of minutes. What I'm going to do is give you one scripture, one story, and then just a couple of questions that I've thought through to say, let me stir your creative juices so that you can go to the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God and say, God, I'm ready. Teach me. Grow me. I want to be sent into Monday. First up, we represent the will of God on Mondays in my work. That is the reason that I do my work. First Corinthians 12 says this. Just as one body has many parts, and all those parts of that body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 27, so you are the body of Christ. The reason I do my work is so that the God who is invisible would be made visible in our city. God, we cry out for your church and for your presence and for your work in the city. And he says, the answer is my church. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus as a parent, as a colleague, as a friend, as a family member, God is being made visible through his church. One of my good friends this week, he was saying, This young boy, just after, you know, taking a bath, he was just rubbing cream into, you know, his hands and his feet and his legs and his face. And he was saying, as he was doing that, he would, you know, just affirm him as a young man. And he would say, you know, these feet and these legs, they can run really fast. You know, these hands and these arms, they can throw a ball really far. These eyes, they can see an airplane in such detail so far away. Friends, this is what God is saying. He's saying, my body Every Monday has unlimited potential to show the city of Twane what it means for me to be at work. So let me give you a couple of questions as examples. Doctor, this morning, when nurses are neglecting their duties, are you engaging them with contempt or are you giving restorative grace so that more people can experience the healing of Jesus through medicine. Entrepreneurs, when when you think about your business, is profit the only thing to maximize the growth and the profit of my business? Or am I saying that I need to look at the pain and the brokenness of this city and I need to have a triple bottom line? Yes, profit, but the people of my business and the pain of this city and this country, that's my issue electrician? Are you cutting corners at the moment because you say, but that's how everyone in our industry works. That's the only way you can survive. Or are you going the extra mile, even at your own cost, to preserve people's safety and quality of life? Because if we do those things, we are being the hands and the feet of God. It's the very reason I step into my work. Or how about this? We represent not only the will of God as the reason I do my work, but we represent the presence of God every Monday. That's the outcome of my work. Matthew 5.13 famously says this, you Christian, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, not about who you are, but it's about who is in you. The Spirit's power and presence in you. He says a city that's situated on a hill cannot be hidden, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, so that it gives light to the whole house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you would be great, no, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We represent the presence of God, the outcome of my work, the way I parent, the way I study, the way I engage my colleagues, the way I run my business, the way I am, you know, amongst my boss and the people that, that pay my salary. The outcome of that is this twofold reality that in the ancient Near East, salt was not just for saltiness, it was a preservative. The Bible is saying the world is literally falling apart, and it's breaking apart because of sin. It's going down the toilet because of the the breaking of, of man's identity. As everything about our technology and quality of life increases, man degrades. And he's saying, I have the solution. My people are the salt of the earth. Wherever I work, the outcome is that people would see the healing, the restoration, the preservation of God in what I do. But more than that, he says this world is dark. There's a dark sexuality. There's a dark financial urge. There's a dark chasing after. There's a dark mental health issue. There's a darkness in our world that is rampant. And my people and the outcome of whatever I'm doing as a teacher, as a plumber, as an electrician, as a father, I can bring the light of God's truth to this world. So maybe some questions for us. Architect. When you're at a site meeting and all the parties are shouting and blaming, are you speaking in a way that embodies arrogance and offense or of humility and self-control because of the spirit within you? Coach, working with young kids, when you observe parents who are putting just ridiculous pressure on their kids to perform, are you confronting them with a vision of what parents can be in the lives of their kids? High school students, When someone shares a sexting story with you and it's scandal and it's happening, are you just passing it along and I'm part of the brokenness and the darkness and and the lack of preservation in this school? Or am I confronting that moment and saying, I want to shine the light of a God who comes to heal and redeem and restore? You know, my wife, Shay, when she was working at the University of the Free State, she had a, a line manager. And this guy, even though he worked with with many, many people from many different backgrounds, at that stage, man, the university culture was, it was pretty wayward. It was a very strange sexual ethic going around there. It was a very polyreligious kind of, you had to keep everyone happy. And this man, as a Christian, had to look at all these different parties. And you know what, time and time again was the feedback of this man's leadership is that regardless of people's views, of their backgrounds, or even their lifestyles, he treated people with fairness and with humility. And you know how that impacted every single person that worked for him. Whether atheist, agnostic, Muslim, or Hindu, it made an impact in their faith. Guys, we have the the chance to represent The presence of God as salt and light is the very outcome of what we do. Thirdly, we can represent the character of God. The way I do my work. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ Jesus in His triumphal procession. He has won the day. It's finished. And through us... He spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Isn't that a powerful metaphor? There's a coffee shop just down the street here called Aroma Coffee Shop. You know why they chose that name? It's because as you step into that coffee shop, the idea is that the sights and the sounds and the smells and the community and everything there would just envelop you. It would just swallow you in. There is an aroma that is calling to you, and it changes the whole atmosphere. Guys, think about this. The way that I do my work, high school student, university student, mom, teacher, parent, business owner, the way that I do my work says something about the God that I serve. The way I do my work says something about what is most central in my life. And what is being said here is that we have the opportunity because of Jesus in us and His Spirit in us The way that we do our work can spread the aroma of God's character. And what is His character? His character, amongst many things, is that of excellence, of creativity, of truthfulness, of grace, of forgiveness, of love, of care, of thoroughness, of passion, of brilliance. The very way I do what I do on a Monday can speak potentially of the character of the God that I serve. So let me give us some questions. Dad, when you walk into your house, is your speech when connecting with your kids and your wife that of God's affirmation or is that of, of critical criticism? University students, when you are in the middle of test week, am I bringing the aroma of God's excellence to every second of my life? Or am I just trying to skirt through while my parents are still paying? Amen from the parents. Teacher, when a colleague is gossiping about you, is the moment of confrontation and conversation between the two of you, is it filled with the aroma of God's truth and forgiveness? Or is it that of vindictiveness and revenge? Friends, we have the opportunity in the way that we do things to bring the character of God into this world. And finally, we can represent on a Monday the message of God. That's the opportunity in my work. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, In Christ, God is reconciling, bringing together the world to Himself. He's not counting our sins, our brokenness, our trespasses against us. And now He has committed the message of that reconciliation to us. Not to the angels, not not to nature primarily, to us. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making His appeal through us. As we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There is a broken God-man, Jesus, on a cross who calls you to forgiveness, not condemnation. And you will find who you truly are. He will teach you to be truly human if you let Him. He's saying, I'm making that appeal through you. You know, many years ago, you wouldn't say it, but my wife and I, we did CrossFit for a season. And the reason I did CrossFit was not so that I can pitch up to class every week and say, I'm here, listen to Jesus. The reason, I just didn't want to die, and, you know, I wanted to play with my kids when I'm older and just, you know, stay alive as a young adult. Students, you will realize, you exercise as a student because it's fun. You exercise for survival when you get older. So, that's for free. So, that was not my reason for being there. But there was a guy who did CrossFit with us, and he is one of these, like, this handsome, successful guy. But he had this very dark issue that none of us knew about for a long time. He was serially kind of cheating on his fiance. And he would constantly sleep with clients who are married. And so once this happened, and he slept with this woman, and her husband found out about it, tracked him down, and assaulted him in his own flat. This man had literally reached the very bottom of the barrel in his life. And you know what he did? He phoned me. And he said, Joe, can you and I, can we just have just an hour before class, I just want to speak to you. It was not the reason. It's not because I was this great evangelist. But it's because he found a safe space. And in the lowest moment of his life, I could speak to him about a God who comes not to condemn, but to redeem. Friends, you have an opportunity. Think about this for one second. This is so crucial. If you're waiting for the pastors of the city to reach the people, friends, we are missing the point. Because you, yes, I have a role to play in the church, but you are going tomorrow, tomorrow morning, there are going to be kids and spouses in your house, colleagues in your office, students in your class that no one else in the city can connect to but you. Friends, we have the city literally represented here. And I'm not saying get out the Bible before the start of every class and speak about the, you know, the second coming. What I'm saying is you have the opportunity within your work and studies every single week in a natural and non-threatening and non-Bible bashing way to speak about the hope that you have in Jesus. In conversation, in connection, just be a Christian and speak about who Jesus is for you. So questions, mom, when your daughter feels the pressure to flaunt her sexuality, because that's what everyone is doing, is your counsel bringing to her the message about a new identity in Christ that is based on the unshakable love of a God for her? Sportsman, when you're in conversation with other sportsmen, Are you speaking not only about career, but also about the fact that you have received a level of redemption and peace in your heart, not because of your achievement, but because of his achievement? Engineer, when your office colleague finds out that their father is diagnosed with cancer, are you not only a shoulder for them to cry on, but a voice of reason that speaks about an eternal hope and truth? Friends, there is an opportunity in our Mondays to be the message of God. So I want to end off. A global survey of more than 25 million people said that 87% of people just feel absolutely zoned out in their work. I'm so disconnected. I'm just going through the motions. And in fact, a survey of South African Christians said some of the following. They phrase this as they work. They said, I often make work decisions without hearing or talking to God first. I struggle to express why Jesus is the center of my life and my work. I usually don't feel God's presence when I'm working. In my work decisions and interactions with people, God is really the top of my mind. Why am I saying this, friends? Because the very opposite is the opportunity that God has for us. That we would not just aimlessly be released into a Monday waiting for the next holy moment. When is the next program? When is the next mission? But that we would say, God, I have realized that the mission field is mine. And tomorrow morning, the game is on. Friends, think about this. You know how many hours of your life you're going to spend here at this church on a Sunday? It's about 7,530 hours. That's one month of your whole life you are going to spend here gathered on a Sunday. Now compare that. you know how many hours you are going to spend at your work in your life? It's about 90,360 hours. Do you know that you can watch the movie Titanic? Three hours long. You can watch it 30,120 times in the time that you are going to work. And can we just say, after the 30,000th time, maybe we can understand why Rose could not make space for Jack on their door. How? There was more than enough. How, friends, one day the God will reveal this to us. But friends, we are saying what we want. You know, I, I used to listen to 5FM when that was still a thing when I was a student. And, you know, Gareth Cliff would always have this phrase and he, as he gets into the weekend. Who remembers that? It would say it's the weekend, baby. Who remembers that, guys? I'm saying an intentional church will walk out of here on a Sunday, built up, and then Monday morning at five when your alarm goes off, and for the students at 11 when your alarm goes off, you are going to say it's Monday, baby. Let's be the church, friends. This is us. This is Tina. This is Rona. This is Ons. Take the invitation from God. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would release a passion for the missionaries in this church. That every single Person in our church would know God in Jesus that they not just love but they are sent, they not just fully forgiven but they are called, they are not just adored by the Father but they've been built up for a purpose. And I pray God that every single church in our city and in our country God would embrace Mondays as game day. We pray that Jesus may your spirit. Powerfully work within us. Jesus' name.